Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. Uh, today, we're going to actually jump into the uh, Old Testament to start this new series off. We believe that God speaks both through the Old and through the New Testament. Anybody else believe that? We actually believe, some people think, well, man, we're under the New Covenant, so we should only teach out of the New Testament. But what we know is, is the Old Testament is actually uh, the New Testament concealed. It's actually types and shadows of what would be to come. And so you can actually see who Jesus is through the Old Testament uh, in a shadow way, like you see Jesus in an obvious way in the New Testament. Are you following me? And so today we're starting a brand new series, really excited about it, and uh, it's called Close. Say it with me, close. And uh, it's funny, I, I was a youth pastor for 16 years, and God would speak to me about two hours before I spoke. And uh, that was my sermon prep time back in those days. Relied a lot on ignorance. And, uh, and now I'm, I'm having to study a lot more, and it's, it's been fun that God's speaking to me so far in advance. And um, God's speaking like months in advance now. And, and God told me about three weeks ago, he said, Mark, Easter's going to be awesome, but I want you to tell the people at Easter... Uh, that you're going to start a new series called Close because the desire of everyone that shows up at Easter is to get closer to God. And so our idea is is that literally uh, everyone's greatest, probably greatest priority when they come to a church service is I'm going to church because I want to get closer to God. Does that make sense? And here's what we believe. This is kind of my thesis for the next few weeks is we determine how close we live to God. Do you know that no one else determines or dictates how close you live to Jesus? I'm convinced that many people live as victims and they say, well, I would have been closer to God, but I didn't have good parents. I would have been closer to God. I didn't have good pastors. I would have been closer to God. I didn't have good teaching. And I think all of those things can affect us. But I do believe uh, in in this type of atmosphere, we determine how close we live to his voice. And so today is going to be a good day to start this thing off. And uh, God gave me the, the titles for the next few weeks, which I'm excited about. And uh, today, I want to talk to you in our first close message about close talkers. Close talkers. And uh, next week, I'm going to talk about close walkers. And then uh, the week after that, we're going to talk about close calls. And uh, it's going to be a fun series. I want to encourage you to check out every week. And uh, it's going to be a good time. But if you've got your Bible today, why don't you get your Bible out? First Kings chapter 19. First Kings 19 is where we're turning today. Read about a really well-known prophet by the name of Elijah, not to be mistaken with Elisha. And Elijah uh, was really a really significant leader uh, in his day, in his age. His name means, the Lord is my God. And that was kind of his message, is that, you know what, if God is real, go after him with all that you got. If he's fake, disregard him. But his, really his life message was, if God is who he claims to be, we should be all in. That's a modern-day definition of his ministry. If God is real, we should be all in. And I really felt like God directed me to this, this particular story because some of you are like, well, Mark, what does Old Testament kings Elijah have to do with me living in 2019 in paradise, hashtag Orange County? Come on. What does that have to do with me, preacher? I think it has everything to do with you because the world that he lives in was kind of an anti-Jesus world. It was an anti-God world. Actually, King Ahab was the political leader at the time. He was married to a nasty lady named Jezebel, and they actually promoted Baal worship as the fundamental predominant religion of the nation. And everyone had turned their backs on Yahweh, 
And, and literally, we pick up the story here, and essentially what happens is, is Elijah calls probably one of the baddest, most baddest meaning good, one of the, one of the greatest displays of the power of God, maybe in the Old Testament, that he actually, basically what he did modern day, is he went, he went on Fox News and CNN and ESPN and said, guys, I rented the Staples Center. And he actually rented the Staples Center and he said, I want you to get every new age leader. I want you to get every cult. I want you to get every false religion. And we're going to have a showdown at the Staples Center. We're, gonna, we're actually going to have an altar. And whoever's God answers with fire, that's the real God. Cameras are rolling. People is watching. Nations taking inventory. And whoever shows up, that's who God is. And he, sees, he basically, he concludes this. He goes, why do you stand between two, two opinions? If God is who he says he is, let's go all the way. If he's not who he says he is, let's just live another life. And so the Staples Center is packed. And everyone, there's 450 Baal prophets that are there. They're cutting themselves. They're fasting. They're, they're screaming out to, to Baal. And Elijah starts taunting. He's like literally like a, like a modern day uh, uh, heckler. And he's like, where's your God? Is he going, this literally, he's like, is he going to the bathroom right now? That's one of the interpretations of, he's literally heckling these prophets. He's like, why isn't he answering? Is he sleeping? Is he on vacation? And he's just kind of heckling. And, and then after they're done, they pour all this water on the altar so that it's literally drenched. It's soaked. And he calls on God with a 63-word prayer. Fire lights the mountain up. And then right after this, they, sat, they, they literally kill all these leaders of this false religion, 450 of them. And then, and then we're going to pick up reading kind of right after the story in chapter 19. Let's read 12 verses together. And it says, Ahab told Jezebel uh, all that Elijah had done as it pertained as executing the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a, someone say, messenger. Very important here to Elijah, saying, so let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make you as one of these dead men by this time tomorrow. Notice this, Jezebel represents a type and a shadow of what the devil or what darkness tries to do in our life. Notice that she threatens his life, but she sends a messenger. I'm convinced that the devil is so good at intimidating us, actually would just talk. If, he, if she wanted to kill Elijah, she wouldn't have sent a messenger. She would have sent an executioner. This is what hell tries. It says that he, he comes around like a roaring. He's like a lion, but he's not a lion. Are you hearing me? And, and, and so it tries to intimidate him, and it does intimidate him. And it goes on to say that when he saw that, he ran for his life. He went to Beersheba, he, uh, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under the broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. That is a pretty interesting prayer time. And he said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay down and slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him, said to him, arise and eat. Then he looked, and by his head was a cake. Someone say cake. Come on. Love cake. Birthday cake brings people together. Not that kind of cake. Let's keep going. The Lord came back in a jar of water. So he ate and he drank. He laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat. Because the journey ahead of you is too great for you. So he arose, he ate, he drank. And he went in the strength of the food that he, he ate for 40 days, for 40 nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Interesting, same mountain that uh, uh, Moses met with God at in Exodus chapter 3. So I... He says this, what are you doing? When he shows up there, he gets to a cave, he spends the night, and God's word came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
He said, I've been very zealous for you, the Lord of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've turned, uh, they've turned down your altars. They've torn them down. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. This is the part that I really want to focus on this morning. Then God said to him, go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Someone say, whisper. And it goes on that he heard the voice, he wrapped his face in a mantle, went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. I want to talk to you today about close, close talkers. Close talkers. We're going to have a good time. You ready to have a good time? I want to give you permission to laugh today. If something's funny, laugh, please. I think God has a sense of humor. I think sometimes we take church too seriously. And I think that God doesn't get more honor if we sit there in our seats like the cover girl for the book of Lamentations. Can we concur? So let's pray. Let's have a good time this morning. God, I just thank you that you're alive. I thank you that you're good. I thank you that you love Orange County and that you have good things in store for this community and this city. I pray that today you would meet us, you would speak to us. I pray whether we're far from you, maybe we don't believe in you at all, or whether we're very close to you and we love you with all of our hearts, I ask you that you would speak to all of us today in a very clear way. We ask you to fill this place with your presence and do what only you can do in Jesus' name. And if you believe it, come on, someone say amen. Amen. Oh, and go Trailblazers. That's for Tomcat. I lost a bet, and so uh, I told Tomcat I'd be rooting for the Trailblazers for a little bit. Any basketball fans? All right, three of you. God bless you. Uh, I don't know. I've, uh, I've been thinking a lot lately about, uh, about these uh, things. It's funny. The older you get, I'm 35 now, which is crazy. I look like I'm 34. Uh, 35, 35 now. And uh, the older you get, it's interesting that you start becoming more aware of what you like and what you don't like. And uh, it's interesting when you're young, it's like you almost don't know. Like, I don't know why I like this. I don't know why I don't like that. But when you get older, it's like you have this ability to go, you know, I like this type of food. I know why I like it. I know why I don't like this type of food. And it's funny that you have a kind of a checklist of things that you love. And there's also a checklist of things that kind of bother you. I would say that one of the things that kind of rubbed me a little bit the wrong way, I've had to work through in my life, especially being in the people business, is one of the things my wife and I have joked a lot about is that there's some people groups in life that have no idea. It's like some people, they weren't born with a part of the assembly dashboard that the light indicator comes on when you start talking too close to somebody. Who has ever been on the other receiving end of a close talker? The older I get, I'm like, Lord, you've really had to do a work inside of my heart because this really bothered me. I'm like, man, they just don't get it. It's like I keep stepping back. They keep crowding the plate. I'm like, I'm going to get hit with the ball here if if you get any closer. You're crowding the plate. It's like the indicators. I keep stepping back. You keep stepping forward. And I've had my fair share of close talker conversations. I don't know if you've ever met a close talker. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're a close talker. What's he talking about? Never, never had that happen to me. Someone's crowding your space. They're close talkers. And what I've learned, I'm just kind of joking about this this morning, but what I've learned about close talkers is usually they like to get close to you because they want to make sure that you hear them. It's a volume issue. For some of them, it's a volume issue. It's like, I got to get close enough that you can hear my voice, right? 
And then for other close talkers, it's because they want your undivided attention. Isn't that true why some people get close to you? They're like, hey, hey, my little Chloe, uh, she's four, and if I'm on my computer or my phone or my tablet, she'll come over to me sometimes and she'll grab my ear and she'll peel it away from what I'm looking at and she'll grab my other ear with her other hand and she'll do un- uninterrupted, uninhibited nose-to-nose. And she'll say, daddy, target, daddy, food, or whatever it is that she wants. I believe that close talkers get close often because they want your undivided attention. And not only do they they do that because they want attention or because it's important, I've actually learned that most of the time when people get close to you, it's because they want to say something to you that's only for your ears. It's only for your ears. And usually when people do like close talking that's just for you, they would use a voice that we would refer to as a whisper. My wife will tell you that I'm the worst whisperer on the earth. I have an outside voice. I don't have an inside voice. We'll be staying at my, my family's house. We'll be, I just, I don't know how to whisper. It hurts my voice to whisper. I always tell Rochelle, she's like, start whispering. I'm like, no, it hurts to whisper. I don't like whispering. I get angry when I have to whisper. And so I just don't whisper very often. And so I started thinking about this though. And I was, I was even just kind of walking through uh, as we're talking about this. And I would write this down today. I think the greatest, maybe one of the greatest words in the entire whole of the Bible is the word here. I believe one of the greatest privileges as God's sons and daughters is the privilege of knowing his voice. And I was thinking about how God is magnificent. And I've heard preachers teach out of 1 Kings and say God only speaks in the still, small voice. And I would disagree with them. I would say that in my life, there has been spectacular moments. I have a real, like, sports center, top ten place of when God spoke in a spectacular fashion. I could tell you about a random stranger coming to me, telling me that one day I would move to California. And one day my wife would enter- uh, be, a, be a part of influencing the entertainment industry. And I could tell you about weird people, people that we never met before, that gave us these prophetic words that said, one day you're going to start a church in Southern California, it's going to turn into a movement. And, and how a lady talked to my in-laws and said, where's your son-in-law from? And they said, Southern California. And she said, yeah, when we were living in Idaho, yeah, they're church planters. They're going to move back to Southern California, and they're going to start a church that turns into a movement. I can tell you that in 15 years, we had over 16 different people all tell us the same thing, that they saw us influencing Hollywood, the entertainment industry, in Southern California with a church. I can tell you that right after these words, I went to San Diego, and a pastor's wife told me after I spoke one night, she goes, look, I'm not weird, I'm not kooky, I promise, but I had this vision of you while you were speaking, and you were in this beautiful building, I, it was big, I think it was your church, and behind you there was a banner that said Orange County. Does that mean anything to you? And we knew we were, going, we were supposed to start a church in California, Southern California, and we thought, dear God, maybe it's Orange County. I can tell you that on, again, this is the sports center highlight where I sound really, really like spiritual. But I can tell you that these, these crazy spectacular events have happened maybe 10 to 15 times at that level in my entire life. But I would actually go on to say that it was a still small voice of God on a consistent, steady basis that has actually fashioned who I have become. And what we want is we want the spectacular, but what I've learned is, is God actually specializes in the still small I actually believe that God can speak in the spectacular. How do you know that? Because it says, in, it says that he wasn't in the fire, he wasn't in the earthquake, he wasn't even in the wind. But if you look at the Bible in Exodus 3, he spoke to Moses in a fire. 
You read Exodus 19, he introduces himself to the nation in an earthquake. And then you read Job 38, he speaks to Job out of a whirlwind. So God has and God can speak out of the spectacular. But for some reason, Elijah is the only one in the Old Testament that God introduces himself to with a still, small voice. I begin to go on to think about what makes Elijah different than Elisha. Elisha was his protege. Elijah does 16 mighty miracles. Elisha does 32. He does twice the amount of spectacular, but it's interesting that when God chooses two people on the earth to do two things, Elijah is in both categories and Elisha is in neither. What are you saying? There's only two people that have ever lived and never died. Never died. Enoch and Elijah. God took both of them and they never saw death. And then there's only two people in the New Testament that appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was Moses and it was Elijah. Why, if Elisha did more of the spectacular, why was Elijah selected? I believe it's because of his revelation of the still small voice. I believe there's something about hearing God's voice up close and personal that makes you different than other people that can do great spectacular things. I would be as far to say is that our generation is, we're sold out on the spectacular, but I believe it's the small things that make a big difference. Are you hearing me? And I love this. And, and there's so many words. God can speak to us. He speaks every language. He speaks every dialect. He's not bilingual or trilingual or quadlingual. He's omnilingual. He speaks the language of frogs. He can speak to frogs to come out of the river. He can speak to, he can speak to the, the waters. He can make blood turn to water and, and water into wine. He can speak, he speaks every language. And not only is God omnilingual, but we know that he can speak every English word in our vocabulary. You know there's 800,000 English words in our, in our vocabulary. 300,000 of them are, are uh, medical kind of jargon that you would never use. Out of the 500,000 that you can use, most people know 15,000 words. Out of the 15,000 words, most people use 5,000 words on a daily basis. But I want you to know that God has a still, small voice. Are you still tracking with me? And I love this because we start seeing here that, that I just started thinking, God, why is it Elijah was so special because there was, you know, there's, there's five major prophets, 13 minor prophets, and there were 73 prophets in the whole of the Bible that people were referred to as a prophet. But why is it that out of all of them, when, when one prophet is selected to represent the prophets with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? Because by the way, that was a big moment because Jesus was there, the new covenant, and he was actually finishing the Mosaic Covenant, which was the law under Moses. And that was the law. And the prophets was represented by Elijah. And so what Jesus does, he fulfills the law. He fulfills the prophets. He reveals a new covenant. And what we find here is, is that out of all the prophets, Elijah's the one that's selected. So why is there this special favor on Elijah that other people that perform mighty miracles never experienced? And I actually believe it was because of the revelation that God gave him that we just read about in 1 Kings chapter 19. You see, wind, earthquakes, and fires are spectacular, and they actually can be felt and experienced from a distance, but the still small voice can only be experienced up. You know why Elijah, I believe, had favor that other people didn't experience? Because he lived closer to God. 
I really feel like God said, look, I want you to know I can do spectacular things, but it's in the small things that I get glory. And I really feel like many people live their lives and they just look for the spectacular. I want the sidewalk prophet to tell me how many hairs are on my head. And I want to, I'm going to drive to this conference and I want to see signs and wonders. And I want to be honest, I think if we're not careful, we'll chase signs and wonders. And Jesus never said to chase signs. He said signs would follow us. Many of us are following signs. And I would encourage you that one of the things we do is we don't live for just the big moments. We learn to hear his voice in the small, small voice. And I believe this, that God's desire for all of us is to live close. I'll keep reiterating this through the series, but we determine how close we live to God. Why would God whisper? Because whisper requires close proximity. I actually believe that your interest in God is determined by your closeness to God. I've, I've, just, I'll be honest, I've been to sporting events. I used to go to the forum when I was a kid, watch the Lakers play. I watched Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in a skyhook. I watched James Worthy in his goggles. I think they called his goggles birth control. <laughs> it's a joke. Keep going. Tough crowd. They were ugly. Look, okay, um, uh, I, I, saw, I saw Magic. I saw all these different players. But we would go to the forum, and we would sit at the very, very top seat. I could, like, scratch the roof when we were watching the game. And literally, the, the players are seven feet tall, and they look like ants. And I was so bored as a kid watching the, the, the greatest athletes on the earth not because the athletes weren't exciting, but because my distance was too far away. You know, if you get far enough away from the action, you can tune out. And I believe that in the American world, if we're not careful, we know so much about God, but we have so little time connecting with God. Do you know that knowledge doesn't make you mature? It's application of what he's telling you. Spiritual maturity is not gauged by our knowledge of God. It's by the transformational process of what we do with what he tells us. So many people, they go, I don't know, man, I, I, I can't, I'm kind of bored. I don't think God speaks anymore. How, how, how do you know if God's still speaking? I actually would say that God, God, not only does he speak today, I actually find that most little kids can hear God's voice better than we can. I'll never forget in 2013, it was October, and my little Kinsey was probably five, four or five years old, and she said, Daddy, why did you move from California to Idaho? And I said to Kinsey in bed, we're, we're going to sleep, I said, Kinsey, God told daddy to move to Idaho. I thought, man, that's period. We're going to sleep. And she goes, dad, she kind of sits up. She's a real inquisitive, smart little kid. She goes, how did God speak to you? How do you know when God speaks to you? And I thought, my God, this is a theological question. I don't know if I know enough to answer this question. And I, I, what, I've, what I've learned is some of the greatest theologians are those that can take the most complex thoughts and explain them in a way that a child can understand. So I said, God, help me. And so I told her in that moment, I said, Kinsey, I knew God was speaking to me because I started thinking about things I normally didn't think about. And actually, as I was thinking about what I normally don't think about, uh, even though I didn't want to do it, I had a peace. And I just started telling her this, and she laid down. I said, normally don't think about it. It was kind of strange, but there was a peace to do it. And literally, Kinsey laid down again. She said, okay. And then she leaned up in the bed. She goes, Daddy, Jesus is speaking to me. I was like, okay, cute, babe. That's cute. What, what's he saying? And we've never, by the way, we didn't tell Kinsey we were moving to California until she was 10 years old, January of last year. When she was four or five years old, she sat up in that bed October 2013. And she goes, he's telling me that we're going to move to California. She was five years old. And she started panicking. She goes, what about Papa? What about Grammy? What about my cousins? And I started, I started just to, oh my gosh, what's going on here? 
It's like, this, this room is bugged. You know, like, what's going on? She's, she's been following our conversations at night. And my little Kinsey heard the voice of God. Because listen to me, God can speak to your thoughts. It's funny that kids, you ask him, how did God speak to you? He spoke to me in my mind. But we become an adult, we get too smart for God to speak to our minds. We start getting logical. Well, what if it's my thoughts? And there are. There's God, there's you, and the devil. There's God, there's you, there's the devil. I did this first service. And God wanted me to tell you the most important thing you'll ever hear. And he wanted me to say, because the microphone keeps cutting out, I was just joking. <laughs> and God said, it's a microphone. Um, so some of you are wondering, like, well, how, how, can you, how can you know if it's God's voice? And I would even be as bold to say that you can actually, you can hear God one minute and be totally off base the next. You know that Peter in Mark chapter 8, one moment, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Peter has one of the greatest revelations of who God is. Jesus is so impressed himself, he goes, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you. That was from God. And then literally, like two, I don't know, probably 60 seconds later, Jesus is like, yeah, I got to suffer. Son of man's going to suffer. He's going to rise. And the third day, I'm going to rise. Third day, everyone's texting. Totally missed it. Third day, he's going to rise. And then Peter kind of caught the end that he was going to die. And Peter's like, hey, Jesus, come over here fast. He brought him over and says, hey, um, I like all the teaching you've been given lately. But that one about you dying, yeah, it's not good. Don't do that. And Jesus literally just gives Peter on the back, Pat, for hearing him clearly. And in about 20 seconds later, he goes, get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God. And Peter's like, oh, gosh. So we went from hero to zero because that's, what, that's, 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 our, that's our human disposition, that we can hear one minute and miss it the next minute. But just because we can miss it one moment doesn't mean we can't hear the other. And I would push back to the American culture that says you can't hear God and I would even push back to the dispensationalists that say God doesn't speak anymore. If there's not a chapter and a verse, then God can't speak. My rebuttal to that is, then who called you to ministry? If God doesn't speak anymore, when you say, God called me to the ministry, then who called you? Show me the chapter and verse of where you got called. God does speak. He'll speak to your mind. He'll speak to your heart. He'll put things inside you that you would never fabricate yourself. And there's a peace, even if they're uncomfortable, to perform them. Why? Because God is a communicator. One of the greatest descriptions of who God is, is he's a communicator. Do you know that everything that he created came from his communication? I would argue that God is the greatest communicator in the universe. And then not only does he speak to everything, he has the power to speak to anyone. He could speak to a donkey. He could speak, come on, to anybody. And I'm telling you today, some of you are like, I don't know if I can get close to God. That's for like pastors. That's for prophets. That's for like spiritually wired people. Jesus said, my sheep know my, they know my voice. So why do we think that we can live our entire lives and never know his voice? I think that we bought into a lie that only certain people can hear his voice. But I think that's because we're looking for the spectacular and God says, I'm in the small. I want like a tangible vision. I want Jesus tangibly in my room. I want to feel his wounds. I want to touch his hands. I want to hear his audible voice. And God's like, look, blessed are those who believe and they do not see. That's what he told Thomas. Thomas was a doubter because he had to see it. And Jesus goes, look, faith is believing it before you see it. That's why when you pray, 
to, to thank God after he's done it is not faith, it's gratitude. And many people, they live, a, they live this tension with God that they're living a grateful life. They're not living a faith life. Faith is saying, God, it looks bad, but you're still good. I know this is a struggle right now, but I know you're still with me. Faith is walking with God before God shows up. And so what we find here is that he's close. He's, he's close, and God reveals himself close to him. And this, this is what I believe. If you want to get closer to God, it really just takes three things. I believe the first requirement to get close to God is the same requirement it took you to fall in love with your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, or your whatever. It, it required, number one, it required investigation. Do you know why you started falling more and more in love with that girl or that guy? I'll never forget, Rashawn and I were dating. It was before FaceTime and uh, before a lot of that stuff. I think text messaging just started getting kind of big. That was back when there was like, what was it, T9? Is that what it's called? Text messaging? The stupidest thing ever. It's like guessing what words you were trying to fabricate. It's like, no, I was saying love, not something else that starts with those four letters. <laughs> Screw that up. But it's funny, I remember Rochelle and I, and when I started falling in love with Rochelle, you know what I started doing? I started asking her so many questions. I wanted to explore every, I wanted to know everything about Rochelle. I'm like, what's your aunt's name? What's your uncle do for a living? What, what, who's your favorite cousin? Who's your least favorite cousin? What's the, what's the stupidest thing you've ever done? What was your favorite color when you were, when you were seven? I wanted to know anything and everything about her. And the more I learned about her, the more I could love about her. And many people in America, they say, I don't really love God very much. I think it's because you've never explored him. I would even say that you haven't really investigated. That's why reading your Bible is such a big deal. And I would tell you that if you would actually read your Bible, what that does is it gives you knowledge about God. And as you have that knowledge about God, then you just got to get a place. I need knowledge about God, and then I need a place. Matthew 6, 6 says, go into, the do- go into your room, shut the door. When you shut your door, go to your father or, or pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in the, will reward you openly. Notice secret and notice where, where do we usually get secrets? When you're whispering. Why would God say that he would speak to you and reward you openly in secret? David would David actually write, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. It goes on to say that the counsel of God is with the, the, the secret counsel of God is with the upright. Why over and over again is God fascinated with secrets? I think it's because secrets required whispering. And whenever God's whispering, God is, he's close. And I think in America, you know why we feel like we can't hear God? Because everything else is so loud. And I think that's why many of us were like, God doesn't speak anymore. It's no, you are so, you're entertained to death. Your phone is always on. You sleep with the TV on. You can't drive anywhere without music playing. You always have noise. And I'm not against those things, but I want you to know, there's something about quieting. TV's off. This is off. God, you have my undivided attention. And I don't think it has to be long. I don't think it has to be two hours every morning. Eastern religions teach us that meditation is emptying, it's emptying your mind. We don't believe that in Christianity. To meditate actually means to fill your mind. That's the difference. Eastern meditation, let's just empty everything out. No, Christianity says, let's put the right things in. And meditation is kind of like marination, that you take on the flavor of what you're marinating on. 
And when you take a verse and you just say, I read this verse, oh God, that's so good. I love you even more because of, ah. And as you meditate on it, you know what you do is you start taking on the flavor of that. When God whispers, a couple things happen. When God begins to whisper to us, number one, his whisper never contradicts his word. So the first way, the first thing I would tell you about hearing his voice is if you're hearing something that contradicts what he's already written, it's not God. That's the first kind of litmus test. It's like, okay, God's telling me to do something evil. Okay, he doesn't do that. So when you see the weird guy on the news that committed a hideous crime, and he says, well, God told me to do it. It's like, you, you might have heard a voice, but it wasn't God's. Because God would never contradict what he's written. And many Christians are, are so ignorant of what was written that they're praying about things that God said you can already have. God, do you want me to, do you want me to, if you want to bless me, if you want to take care of me, if you care, we know he cares. <laughs> we know he wants to take care of you. He says, if you being evil like to take care of your kids, how much more? Your father who's perfect in heaven takes care of those who love him. It's his own kids. Many times we, we're, we're asking God for things that he has already literally made a verdict about. So God, he speaks in his whisper, and what happens? And the band can come up. Is his whisper always confirms what he's written down. God's whisper doesn't just confirm what he's written. It'll always, number two, it'll always make us more like him. How do you know if you're hearing God's voice? I had this thought reoccurring in my Bible, my quiet time. I'm just reading my Bible. I'm praying. I was worshiping God in my car, and thoughts started coming into my head. You know what I've learned is, is the voice of God will always make you more like Jesus. So if you're hearing something and it's not like Jesus, then it's not God's voice. Like, for instance, if you hear a voice, be stingy, be selfish, be stingy, be selfish. This is your time. This is your life. You got to do this. God never tells us to be selfish. That's not who Jesus is. That's not who we are. And I've learned this because sometimes in church, I think the devil's talking to me when God says, I want you to honor me with a financial gift. And I'm like, that's the devil. I would never, why would God want me to give financially? But you know what I've learned is, is the devil is never generous. And Jesus is never stingy. And oftentimes, usually if you study church history, whenever there was a resurgence of revival or spiritual awakening, there was always a, uh, a resurgence of giving. Do you know that when Moses built the, the temple and Solomon built the tabernacle, do you know that when these guys built, I just learned this as well, I was reading this, that they didn't build it with tithe money. It was actually above and beyond tithes that they built the early church structures with offerings, free will offerings. That every time God began to pour out his presence, people were so, they were so moved that people began to freely give. And there was such a generous, liberal spirit under the law that Solomon had to get up and goes, guys, stop giving. We have more than we need. Can you imagine if such liberality occurred under the old covenant? Because of the generosity in people's hearts. God is generous. The devil is stingy. And so if you're hearing a voice that contradicts the nature of God, we know it's not God. Because his voice always makes us more like him. Are you still with me today? Third thing, I almost finished, is his voice, his whisper, it'll always be confirmed by godly counsel. I would tell you that one of the marks of mature Christians is that before they make a big decision, they will always get godly counsel. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, says in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. David writes in Psalms chapter one, he says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. You know what I've learned is immature people will only find that they can hear a hundred 
knows, they'll find one idiot that says yes. And they'll say, well, so-and-so said yes, but they will not tell you about the 99 no's. Are you hearing me? Does it remind you when you're a little kid and your dad didn't give you the answer you wanted? So you're like, okay, that's okay, dad. And you go behind him, hey, mom, what do you think? And mom says yes. And now there's a civil war in the family. Well, mom said yes. Well, I said no. Well, mom said, you went to mom after I said no. And there's like this discourse because watch, immaturity will always hunt for someone to agree. But you know what I've learned is a compliment from a fool is actually not a compliment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And a criticism from a fool is actually a compliment. We'll keep going. I've learned this, that godly counsel is always what confirms the whisper of God. And then not only that, it's his whisper. Well, there's times that God will correct us because he loves us. But I want you to just write this down because this is a big misconception in church. Is God's voice never condemns, but it will convict. It'll condemn. What's the difference? Is, aren't you kind of splitting hairs here? It's a big difference. Condemnation makes you feel like there's no way out. Condemnation makes you feel like you're the biggest idiot. No one else would be that stupid. No one else would say that, do that, smoke that, go there, do this. You're the only one that's ever struggled with that addiction. And the voice of condemnation leaves you hopeless. But when God shows up, you ever been in church and God starts kind of convicting you and you're like, ah, maybe I shouldn't do that this afternoon. And by the way, if church isn't a place that God can change your bad plans, where can he change them? I want to go to a church that my sins come to die. I want to go to a church that literally it's going to change my, my week, that the, the, the dark thoughts that my flesh wanted to participate in. As I was in the presence of God, all of a sudden I'm like, you know, I probably shouldn't go to that event. I probably shouldn't go to that party. I probably shouldn't hang out with that friend. I'll probably slide back into old mentalities. If you can't get corrected in his presence, where can you? And the Bible says a child left to himself brings shame. Do you know that the mark of sonship and daughtership, probably one of the greatest marks, is the ability to discipline your own kids. Do you know one of the things that makes you a child and a daughter of God is giving God permission as a father to discipline you when you need it. Why? Because you can love anybody's kids, but you can only discipline yours. I feel like preaching just a second. In an airport, you can say, oh, your kid is so cute. In an airport, you'd be like, oh my gosh, your kid is adorable so well-dressed. But when you start walking around the airport going, come here, you little. You discipline someone else's kid, you go to jail. Why? Because you can't discipline what's not yours. So we get mad at God. Why? I feel, I feel uncomfortable at church. You know why God is making you uncomfortable? Because kids that never get disciplined, we have a word for them. They're called brats. Hello, church. You ever met a brat? What happened to that kid? His parents gave him everything, but never said no. I think that no is one of the great criterias of love. Man, I could preach right now. I got to restrain myself. I'm telling you that no, because God will only say no to you, because this is what I've learned. God will never tell you not to do anything unless it'll affect your long-term happiness down the road. So God's never like, oh, I'm going to cram your style. Don't go to Coachella. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't sniff this. Don't smoke that. Don't sleep with that. God will never tell you not to do something to cram your style. He only brings structure for your long-term fulfillment. 
Because let me frame it this way. Is fun that doesn't last really fun? Or is it going to be torment if it's something you later regret? You know the first law in the Satanic Bible written by Anton LaVey? Do whatever you want whenever you want. You know the first law of Satanism is to live however you want whenever you want. And I'll tell you right now that one of the marks of being our daughter of God, I'm sorry if this is too heavy this morning, is that God has permission to correct me. And I would even say this, when was the last time you disagreed with God? And if you haven't had a disagreement with God lately, it's probably because you're sitting in his chair. I heard a theologian once say that in the beginning, God created man. And ever since, man has been trying to return the favor. We don't create God. God created us. And there's times, I mean, God knows it's been difficult for Rochelle and I. We're like, God, houses are so expensive. want to own a house. God, this is difficult. It's trying. And we're doing things that we probably wouldn't have done if we chose an easy life. Because I've learned that his voice will often push us out of our comfort zones. But his voice will convict but never condemn. And lastly, I'm done. It's his voice will always carry peace. You can say it like this. You know the presence of God, the voice of God by peace. Like you know the presence of darkness by fear and anxiety. Some of you know when darkness comes into your room because you just feel scared. You feel like panic attack. You feel anxious. You feel worried, stressed out. I want you to know you're feeling a a presence of something, but that is not the spirit of God. Because the spirit of the living God, when he shows up, it brings peace. That's why you can come to the church with the same bills and leave with peace. You're like, are my bills gone? Nope. What changed your perception on life? Are you hearing me? Because I've learned that in the presence of God, the voice of God, the whisper of God will always usher in peace. You know why he whispers? Because he wants you to hear him. And he wants you to be close. You know why he wants to whisper to you? Because his voice is important. You know why he's a close talker? It's not only because his his voice is important and his voice is close. It's because he wants your undivided attention. And you know why Jesus wants to be a close talker? Because he wants you to be able to hear his whispers. The secret of the Lord is with those that fear him. We're going to be a community that's close talkers. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.